There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. We have a disclaimer for this week's episode. All parties discussed in this episode are considered innocent until proven guilty. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. He could have been thinking these ways about any of the women. And if he would have gotten a chance and had any of us alone, I don't know. Welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting far away from Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. I just totally had an absolute brain fart. Like, I didn't even know where I was, what I was talking about. Who am I? Who am I? Um, Today's episode is a two-parter. This is part one of two. So if you are a binger, then you're going to have to wait until next Wednesday for the full story. But Honestly, it's a good one. I don't know how it's you're not going to be able to listen it. to it. It's it so, is worth it. It's so good. Um, before- you know what? And, and why don't you just listen to it and then, you know, ruminate about it for a week and then listen <laughs> to the second episode like everybody used to have to do before our culture became so immediate gratification. We had to wait three years to figure out what happened to Han Solo in Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> so. Yeah, you didn't have, it's not that uh, instant gratification no. that. No that we have now. Honestly, this, if anybody was going to like do, if they're a binger and they wanted to see, test themselves and see how they'd react. I think that this episode might be a good one because mm-hmm. it almost has some sort of conclusion, but then yes. it doesn't, but yes. then it doesn't. And it is organically sort of broken up into two distinct parts. So I do think this is one where you wouldn't forget the details. Um, so Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to shot, guys. Give it a shot. We're going to get into it, but we have to know, Billy, what day is it today? Today is June 9th, and it is Donald Duck Day. Mm. Donald Duck's the first man appearance who on doesn't screen wear pants. <laughs> was in the animated short The Wise Hen on June 9th. His middle name is Fauntleroy, and he provides an, a perfect foil for Mickey Mouse. Fauntleroy? Fauntleroy. What is that? Donald Fauntleroy Duck. He was always my least favorite Disney sort of character. And I'm not sure why, because I love ducks. I think they're so cute. But his rendering is not. He's not a cute duck. He really is not. Right. Like, I take a Goofy over over a Donald Duck any day. Wait, didn't I just learn that isn't Goofy a cow? I think Goofy's a cow. Goofy's a dog. But everybody just assumed he was a dog this whole time, right? 
I think so. Is he a cow? Billy? I'm pretty sure he's a dog. <laughs> I... Uh-oh. If Billy doesn't know this one, though, this is going to be... When you type in what kind of animal in Google, Goofy is what happens. He's an anthropomorphic <laughs> dog. There you go. I don't even know what that means. Not really sure either, but there you go. That settles that. All right, but I will... Let me read from Wikipedia for a second about Donald Duck because... You know, he's got this fiery temper, and this is actually what it says in Wikipedia. His rage is a great cause of suffering in his life. Oh. On multiple occasions, it has caused him to get in over his head and lose competitions. I I distinctly remember his rants that are quacks that are like, wee, wee, wee. like they sound sort of like pig squeals, but they're quacks. Yeah. And he would like throw things and he was just an angry he has anger management. He had a problems. short fuse from the old. These are the very old cartoons that that would include many of the characters. I wonder if this is like somebody that worked at Disney. They're like personifying or the opposite of personifying themselves in this animal. Like he yeah. was Larry David to George Costanza was this writer to Donald Duck. Yes. Donald Maybe. Duck was a muse. There was also a running gag in the Donald Duck comics about him being physically unhealthy and unmotivated to exercise. Well, when you don't have to wear pants, you don't have to worry about pants fitting. (laughs) That's right. It's like a legging, but even Mm -hmm. better. So much better. All right. But also, I I will have to say this, though. Very, very few uh, holidays today. But shout out to Alexis Linkletter. It's National Strawberry Rhubarb Pie Day. (laughs) Oh, my God. There's so many (laughs) pie days. Don't bring these up. I mean, I hate cooked fruit and I hate your rhubarb pie day, Billy. I don't know why. Like, <laughs> all of a sudden, it comes my rhubarb pie day. You are the one. You shouted me out. I this did is, shout out. You were provoke. You were you are trolling me. There I just happens trolling. to be so many days cooked that fall days. on Wednesday that are for pies, and we just have to accept it, Alexis. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's enough of that because I know that there aren't any other good days. It's been a bleak day. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. As we get older, our experiences help mold us into the types of people we become. For many of us, that mold is defined by people in our lives that take on leadership roles, whether we expect them to or not. We become is defined by those who inspire us to do better and challenge us to step out of our comfort zones. We put these people on pedestals, but eventually, even those up on the highest pedestal will come crashing down and are revealed as human, or even worse, revealed as a monster. This betrayal rattles our abilities to trust and perhaps even cause us to question our faith. Today's episode is going to prompt you to ask just how well you really know someone in your orbit and how big of a role is faith in defining one's moral compass. Before we answer any of these questions, first, we need to introduce you to our first degree, Dee Dee. And the starting point for the story we're telling begins long ago when Dee Dee met a couple within her local church group. It was literally about 25 years ago. It might have even been, no, probably about, yeah, 22 to 25. So somewhere in the ballpark of 25 years ago, when Dee Dee was about 24 years old. Okay. So we need to go back to the very beginning. It was at a small church event. It was Calvary Chapel of Escondido. 
you know, just a suburb of San Diego. Sunny, beautiful Escondido, California. Founded in 1888, it is one of the oldest cities in San Diego County. A 2005 nationwide study listed Escondido as one of the most conservative cities in America. And according to churchfinder.com, the city boasts at least 62 churches. And one of them is the church that Didi attended, Calvary Chapel of Escondido. And it's here where Didi met Diane and Thomas Bruce. We met there. And, and it was interesting because they didn't have kids. And they still haven't. I don't know what it was with her. I think she couldn't have kids. Diane was very motherly, and you could tell she really wanted to be a mom because she would hang out with all of us moms, and she would volunteer in the nursery, you know, do those things. So it was kind of sad to kind of watch that. 25 years ago, Tom Bruce was introduced to Dee Dee as a U.S. Navy veteran who was passionate about his faith. Diane and Tom were a couple who were about the same age as Dee Dee was. In fact, she eventually learned that she and Tom were only a few months apart in age. And Tom Bruce was sort of your average Joe. We're looking at a picture of him right now from 25 years ago, around the time that Dee Dee met the Bruces. And I don't know, how would you describe him? Average white guy. The most average white guy there ever was. He's got a thinning hairline. He's got glasses. He's got... He's a little red. He might want to start using some sunscreen. He might have like a little ginger in him. He's a little little stocky. And he's got facial hair, a mustache, a beard. And he's wearing a short sleeve plaid shirt that's tucked in and buttoned up. It looks as though he's drinking or mixing a espresso or something but you know literally if you went in the dictionary and looked up average white guy yeah it would be this guy that's what i'm saying <laughs> exactly to a t according to dd tom's wife diane was very sweet and her world totally revolved around the church as well and what she recalls about tom is that he was extremely quiet not a chatty guy so initially she primarily conversed with diane gradually dd spent more and more time around tom and diane bruce the church had two softball teams, so we were constantly together because, you know, we had the softball team and the practices and all that. We hung out, you know, a lot there. They were just involved in everything, everything that the church was, and we happened to be involved in kind of the same things. They were very interested in missions, and I was too. Now, these mission trips are trips where you go to other countries and you contribute to the community. What you're doing is you're you're doing volunteer work and you're doing something that the community needs, but at the same time, you're proselytizing. You're actually trying to tell them about Christianity and how good Christianity is. So th- that's what these mission troops are. Right. Well, you can also just go to another state. It doesn't need to be out sure. of the country. Yeah. A lot of them are within the Americas. Right. And the, the purpose is essentially to convert as many people to to your church, to your God, as humanly possible. That is your your duty as a good Christian in this case. It's to go convert and spread the message of God so their souls are saved. Exactly. So back to our story, Tom and Diane Bruce were largely involved in planning these mission trips that were organized by this congregation. And a big part of this, obviously what we're saying, is motivating other members to participate. So a side note, the obligations of those who go on these mission trips include things like public speaking, which for a lot of people is literally their worst nightmare, terrifying. Preaching to crowds so they can learn about God. Like that's very intimidating trying to think about. 
And they're sometimes using a microphone. So if you're scared of public speaking, this is anybody's worst nightmare. It really gives me sweats thinking about it. So Tom Bruce believed that Dee Dee had it in her to participate in the upcoming mission trip to Scotland and to, you know, really do some of these things that we were just talking about. So the church back then, you know, was very, you know, into missions trips. You know, they would go on like two to three a year. But this was like simply the farthest. And I'm scared to death to fly. But Scotland was huge. I mean, that's 14 hours. And I'm scared to death. So, yeah, Tom was literally the first person to come to me and say, you know, look, I think you should do this. Tom was determined to get Dee Dee to overcome these fears and go on this mission trip to Scotland with them. And it was through this process that this guy Dee Dee knew to be quiet and difficult to get to know, he started to totally open up. He was mainly the reason I was going to go on this missions trip. He said that he saw things in me. He saw gifts in me. He pushed me. Which was so weird because I never even knew you had a voice, Tom. I didn't even know you could talk, you know? <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're encouraging me. I know you can do this over in Scotland. I know you can stand in this city square that we ended up going to. And I know that you can speak in a microphone and, and get people to listen to you and leading me and changing me, really, to do these things were com- that were completely uncomfortable for me. For Dee Dee... The Bruces, along with the other members of the congregation, they were like surrogate family to her, which meant they came to know the details of her backstory. You know, I had a really bad life, really bad upbringing, and he just wanted me to say that, but there was just no way I'm not going to get on a microphone in front of strangers and talk. And that's just what he did. He would just talk to me for weeks over and over as we would prepare. We would have meetings at their house. This mission trip to Scotland eventually did happen, and Dee Dee spent two uninterrupted weeks with Diane and Tom Bruce. I was with him all day, every day for two weeks. Dee Dee went on this mission trip and excelled. She overcame her fear of public speaking, and she did a lot of meaningful work, which strengthened Dee Dee in her own faith. She attended church with Diane and Tom Bruce for 10 years before the Bruces finally picked up and moved out of Southern California. But in that time, she spent weekends, you know, nights, evenings. They had a softball team where both families would participate. I mean, they, the Bruces and Dee Dee were together, you know, sort of day in and day out at this church. They were very involved. Following Diane and Tom's move, they would move a shocking 27 more times over the next few decades. And while Dee Dee had been close with Diane and Tom while they attended the same church, Dee Dee only maintained loose relationships with them after they moved via Facebook and social media. But it wouldn't be until 2018 that this couple, Tom and Diane Bruce, would return to the forefront of Dee Dee's mind in a huge, devastating way. So let's fast forward to 2018. So today's case takes us back to Monday, November 19th of 2018. Movies and theaters included Fantastic Beaks, The Crimes of Grindelwald, Roma, and Green Book. And songs on the radio were Sicko Mode by Travis Scott, High Hopes by Panic at the Disco, and of course, Ariana Grande's Thank You Next. The setting for this crime is Baldwin, Missouri, which is a suburb within the greater city of St. Louis, and also where Tom and Diane Bruce settled after moving dozens of times. This area is about 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis and the Mississippi River, 
and is predominantly a residential neighborhood. It was also named one of America's best places to live by Money Magazine in 2005, 2011, and 2013. So we know the date. We know the geographical location. Now we'll know the time. It was 3.19 p.m., which is when the St. Louis Police Department received a very strange and unsettling 911 call from a Catholic supply store at a strip mall in the suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri. So this Catholic supply store, I didn't have one near me growing up, so I thought Billy just informed me that there was in fact one at my local mall on Long Island. But looking at a picture of the exterior of the one we're talking about, it's a brick building, huge windows. It looks like it could be. It looks like it could be a Goodwill or something. Yeah, really. I was thinking like a Goodwill or a Salvation Army kind of a vibe. Right, but it's my understanding that they sell religious items and things like that. Yes. Uh, so the reason, as a goth kid going into the Catholic supply store, is that they sold a lot of crosses and things. So that's what I I would go there and get like cool crosses and. If I wanted, uh, you know, at, at a time when I was wearing earrings, I would get a cross for to wear on my just easy to wear around my, my my on my ear and stuff like that. It was just I used to always. It was one of the stores that I would always go to at the mall, and really? it sold. I'm sorry, but I think they call that blasphemy. <laughs> my mother was Catholic, so I was able to do if that. They only. Oh, I'm knew. sure. Oh, that that makes it okay. <laughs> I have more questions about if I didn't know you ever had an earring, but that we can talk about that in Killing Time. Yeah, some okay. other time. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a place that sold um, a lot of you know pictures of of Jesus, a lot of uh, rosaries and Bibles and crosses and things like that. In fact, we have a description of what the Catholic supply store sold right here, don't we, Jacqueline? Yes, I will tell it to you right now. According to their website, quote, Catholic Supply of St. Louis Incorporated is a family-owned religious goods store with an extensive selection of religious Catholic and Christian gifts, Christian books, church supplies and church furnishings, clergy apparel, school uniforms, and much more. Okay, I'm glad we went down the Catholic Supply Store rabbit hole, but let's get back to this 911 call coming from this particular Catholic Supply Store. So the caller was calling to report that a man had entered a Catholic supply store on Manchester Road, which is also known as Route 66, the main road through this county. The store was located in a strip mall, and it's actually a national brand that sells various religious items, as we've disclosed moments ago. So when this man walks in, according to the police, he allegedly poses as a potential customer, and then he leaves the store and then walks to get something from his car. Moments later, he returned, but this time he's brandishing a handgun. And there were three women in the store, and he demanded that all of them go into a back room, disrobe, and then he starts demanding that they perform sexual acts on him. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's disgusting. It's unbelievable, but this piece of shit is really doing this. And these three women, they're experiencing their worst nightmare imaginable, They were frightened and scared out of their minds because not only are they forced to strip, but he's got them at gunpoint. So the 911 caller informed the dispatcher that two of the women had been sexually assaulted. The third woman present, who would not cooperate with the rapist's demands, was identified as 53-year-old Jamie Schmidt. The man shot her point blank before he fled the scene. When law enforcement got there, Jamie Schmidt was clinging to life, and she desperately needed medical attention. She was rushed to the hospital. Jamie had been in the store that day to buy supplies for an art project. She had been crocheting rosaries for the women in her parish group, and she just needed more materials to complete the project. Jamie was a mother of three and wife to her high school sweetheart. 
So Jamie gets to the hospital and they attempt to save her life, but they could not. And she dies. And so we have a picture of Jamie Schmidt. And we just wanted to kind of describe it to you. She looks like the sweetest woman ever. She has these little glasses on. She has the kindest smile, sweet eyes, and a little banged haircut. And yeah, she just looks like a wonderful woman. And you know what? You know, she was in there. We know she's devout to a degree, right? Because she's knitting things or making an art project for her parish group. Yeah. She's in a Catholic supply store. And you know, when this this monster demanded she perform sexual acts on him, she told him to F off because she's not doing that. And I think her integrity is really heroic in her own way. You know, it's like she was not going, she said no. And he's such a piece of shit that the rejection prompted him to selfishly take her life. But I still am so in such admiration of her. Right. And it's terrible. It's terrible. Mom of three, like high school sweetheart. It's so heartbreaking. A quick Google search reveals that Jamie was a friend to many. She had a rescue dog named Aza. She worked at the St. Louis Community College in Wildwood. According to her obituary, Jamie was an active member of St. Anthony's Catholic Church in High Ridge, Missouri. She was also a talented artist and described as a beautiful singer. She was, by all accounts, a cherished person. And now she was gone all because of this monster who took her life. The surviving victims told the police that the perpetrator entered the store and said that he was shopping. Then he briefly left before coming back inside, and this time he had a handgun. It's then that he forced the women into the back room. He ordered them to strip. He exposed himself, and he ordered them to perform, quote, deviant sexual acts on him. The detectives wrote this in their criminal complaint. And Jamie Schmidt had refused to cooperate with his sickening demands, like we said, and that is why he shot her. And the whole thing is just absolutely heartbreaking. So they described the suspect as a white male. He's about five foot seven inches tall with a heavy build, and he looked around 40 or 50 years old. He had a black jacket and blue jeans with a large belt and a black or a gray hat. So I'm going to play Freud for a second here Mm. and try to deconstruct the type of crime and criminal we're dealing with, where this guy, to have to go try to force women at gunpoint to perform sexual acts on you, I mean, what can we deduce from that simple fact on its own? (laughs) I mean, that he probably had a bunch of rejection his entire life, and he just got to a breaking point in his own mind. Yes. Anything else? Billy, thoughts? There's just something incredibly messed up with the location that he decided to, obviously the whole thing is messed up, but the location that he decided to do it in and the fact that encountering three women, um, it it makes it seem like this possibly wasn't the first time that he did this. I was going to say, there's something so bold and brazen. I mean, he was maskless. He was showing his face. It was in the middle of the day. In the middle of the day. And he, he took a chance in an attempt to control three people, you know, it's sort of like also the arrogance, right? It's like, it's disgusting and and curious. So you're going to learn all about this perpetrator and more. And you're going to know all about this bewildering case right after a brief word from our sponsors. (laughs) 
Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. In November of 2018, a man armed with a gun entered a Catholic supply store in suburban Missouri and sexually assaulted two victims before shooting a third. That woman... Jamie Schmidt, was a customer at the store. Law enforcement felt the immediate pressure of catching the suspect before he could strike again. Back at the scene, St. Louis detectives were struggling to understand what kind of evil asshole would do something like this. This is a rape and a murder at a Catholic supply store. It's pretty inconceivable. So they process the scene and they don't get much. There was very little physical evidence collected And unfortunately, despite the fact that it was 2018, there were no security cameras inside the store. That's actually baffling. No, I know. Not a one? It's insane. My apartment, which is built in the 1930s, has cameras. Well, you just think that there'd be a camera somewhere, like even if it wasn't in the store, like there'd be outside one of the one of the other uh, neighbor store across the street. Who who knows? A gas station. Yeah, or somebody would have caught something on camera. You would just think they're, I mean, we're pretty much being watched all the time that something would have come up. So that is, when we were reading through this, I was like, whoa, 2018. Mm -hmm. 
So law enforcement was able to make few determinations based on the evidence that they had. There were definitely more questions than they had answers, and they didn't know whether the suspect left on foot or in a vehicle. So they had to rely on testimonies from nearby businesses. Again, he was a white male between 5'7 and 5'9, a heavy build, about 40 to 50 years old. And he was wearing a navy blue Carhartt style jacket, a red, white, and black plaid shirt, blue jeans, and a belt with a large red and blue buckle. And they also said that he was wearing, and Billy, I don't know if you're ready for this, but he was wearing your trademark paperboy style hat. And I don't know if there's anything that should tell you to retire that hat more. There's a lot of good people that wore that hat. So by two hours after the shooting, the police were at a loss. They could find no motive. No one connected to this Catholic supply store, and they were no closer to finding a suspect. Based on what the two surviving victims said, it didn't seem as though the suspect was connected to any of the victims. And it seems as though the store was targeted at random. One thing they did know, however, was that the suspect was bold. And he was armed, he was dangerous, and he was still on the loose. Police held a press conference later that day to announce a national alert to other police departments to see if anyone knew of other cases with similar details. A massive manhunt would ensue in search of this murderer. An immediate firestorm followed. The people in this community were terrified. It's been scary. Um, Never happens out here in West County. So we're kind of all on pins and needles. At first I was thought it was our store. Um, so just fear and just, I can't believe I was actually gone to lunch when this happened. I mean, what are the chances? The area surrounding the Catholic supply store was on high alert. And according to the St. Louis County chief at the time, about 60 officers were driving around this dense residential area. They were knocking on doors of homes and businesses in an effort to look for any possible leads. And they sensed the danger that this kind of perpetrator possessed. Someone this brazen and this deranged could surely inflict more pain if they weren't apprehended soon. The search for this unknown suspect was now 24 hours deep and the police were no closer to identifying them. Officers continued interviews with business owners and employees within close proximity to the scene, which included the stores and vendors in the same strip mall where the Catholic supply store was located. One of these businesses included a bar called Hot Spots Sports Bar. So it turns out a server at this bar recognized the description of the suspect and said that they believed a similar-looking man had recently given her his business card when he had come in. Okay, so this is something. This is really the first possible lead that could maybe identify this guy, and anything was worth pursuing at this point. There was one problem, though. The server from Hotshot Sports Bar, who had gotten that business card, she threw it in the trash. But luckily, the trash hadn't been picked up yet, so they were able to go through the trash and sift through it all, And they located this mysterious business card. And the name on the card? Thomas Bruce. Approximately 48 hours after Jamie Schmidt's murder, the police finally had a lead on a prime suspect. Thomas Bruce. But could this really be the same Tom Bruce that Dee Dee described at the top of our episode? He was a man of God, a man who motivated her to spread the gospel overseas on a mission trip a man who held Dee Dee's babies, and he attended church functions. It couldn't be, could it? Okay, so we're looking at a side-by-side picture of 
Tom Bruce while he was in Scotland on the mission trip with Dee Dee, and then his mugshot. First of all, he's a black guy. Well, that's something. And while he's obviously older, he looks actually shockingly better with a shaved head than he did when he was clinging to his receding hairline. <laughs> he looks scary to me. Like, yeah. and I, the yeah. look on his face, I can't tell if it's sad. And he looks rageful. Well, it's that it's those black eyes that just have this emptiness to them. And there's almost, it's like a blank stare mixed with there's some kind of anger behind that, but you just like can't really put a finger on it. He does have dead eyes. Yeah. He also has an incredibly thick neck. Like his neck uh, is almost is is the size of his head almost. So it's, that's true. Yeah, it looks yeah. like a thumb mm, or a dick, whatever. Literally and figuratively. So obviously, based on our descriptions, Thomas Bruce is older. He's balder, but this is in fact the same Thomas Bruce. All right. So as we know from Dee Dee's account thus far, Thomas Bruce was, or perhaps pretended to be, an extremely religious man who spearheaded several programs at their church in Escondido, California. After he landed in Missouri, Tom had been the pastor of a congregation from 2003 to 2007 within Missouri. Even more recently than that, Tom had even worked at the Jewish Community Center in St. Louis County. Totally unclear on what he was doing there since we know he's Christian, but this is what he was doing. Anyways, the name on this business card was Thomas Bruce. Now, once police had a name, it was very easy to find out where Tom was. Court documents show Thomas Bruce has lived in 27 different residences. He was arrested at his current home in Jefferson County in Imperial early this morning. Bruce's neighbors say they're shocked. I mean, every time I come outside, he would, he would say hi. First, I've never had a neighbor as nice as he was. And to think they would suspect a neighbor who, you know, I believe to be good and kind, you know, and honorable. Using the information from Thomas Bruce's business card, the police found his home address. It was 30 minutes from the Catholic supply store. Tom and Diane Bruce were still married all these years later. And just prior to his arrest, had moved into this trailer home in Imperial, Missouri. Because the bank had foreclosed on a different house they owned in the same area. So... They clearly had money problems. And the police soon learned that in January of 2017, they had filed for bankruptcy, listing $92,000 in assets and $159,000 in debt. A background check also revealed that Tom owned four firearms, including an AR-15 Bushmaster rifle, a Glock 43 handgun, a six-hour handgun, and a 22 caliber handgun. Bruce was sitting at home with his wife, Diane, when their property was raided and Bruce was taken into custody. Their trailer was searched, and there was a Gadsden flag with the words, Don't Tread on Me, flying outside. And Bruce had an active Twitter account at the time. And Heavy.com reported that most of Bruce's posts were very political in nature. And his profile was hashtag MAGA and Don't Tread on Me. And according to his Facebook page, Tom Bruce attended a rally held by President Donald Trump in Missouri the same month that he committed the Catholic supply store crimes. Okay, back to Tom Bruce's Twitter for a moment. A little more than a month prior to the Catholic supply crimes he com allegedly committed, Bruce retweeted conservative activist Candace Owens' tweet about sexual assault. Ironically, it read, If you are a victim of rape or sexual assault, I am sorry that you have had to watch the left politicize, diminish and demean your experience for political gain. So that 
is super ironic considering what he's accused of doing. Either way, Tom Bruce was arrested, and once he was secured in custody, he was ordered to be held on a cash-only bond of $500,000. And based on what Jack told us a few minutes ago about his financial situation, it's safe to say he was not making bond. Didi remembers the moment she heard the news of Tom's arrest. It came from a member of the Escondido congregation where Didi and the Bruces had previously attended together. The person who told me was, we used to belong to a different church, and we had all been there, including Tom and his wife, Diane, the Bruces, for like 25 years. We'd all gone to the same church together. Well, that church kind of just kind of broke apart, and we all kind of separated and kind of went our different directions. So a lot of the people, a lot of these friends that I had, ended up at the same church that I did. And so we were just talking kind of about you know, back back then, like the old old Calvary Chapel days. And they mentioned to me, they're like, did you hear what happened to Tom Bruce? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and remember, this is a man who had planned the mission trip where Dee Dee had really found herself, where she had overcome a lifetime of shyness when it came to public speaking. She had shared vulnerable moments with him. She entrusted him to be around her children and her family. These people really became her family. The news of Tom's arrest felt like a huge betrayal. A betrayal by Tom himself, for all he represented himself to be. But Dee Dee also felt that to be so wrong about somebody was a betrayal by her own instincts as well. I think what's upsetting me the most is just sort of the ew and the creep factor. Just the, I was with you. I hung out with you for 25 years on some level. You know, you held my babies. You, you know, were around my kids. We went to potlucks together and church functions. And, oh, my gosh. I think that's the thing that's that's worse, is that he could have been thinking these ways about any of the women. And if he would have gotten a chance and had any of us alone, I don't know. This was a guy that Dee Dee trusted and spent personal time with for years not to mention the close quarters she shared with him in Scotland on that mission trip. And it sucks because a lot of his pictures are, or that I have are, for, are us in Scotland. And it just kind of ruins the whole thing for me. <laughs> the moment I found out that it happened, for some reason I just wanted to look at all my photos, anything that I could find that where he was in it, him and his wife. I look at them with a different... <laughs> lens now through a different way, you know? At the time of Tom Bruce's arrest, he had been working as an insurance agent. But allegedly after the murder, Tom's employer told reporters that he had lost contact with Bruce two weeks prior. The meaning of this is kind of unclear, but with context, kind of sounds like Tom inexplicably just stopped showing up for work and his boss hadn't been able to reach him. There's another thing we want you to know about Tom Bruce. By 2018, he actually had had no criminal record whatsoever. Meanwhile, as the case continued to unfold and more details were being made available, Dee Dee was searching her brain for anything, something that in hindsight could have revealed Tom Bruce for what he allegedly was, for real, a wolf in sheep's clothing. I've been to his house, you know, just a completely normal, normal. There was never one ever red flag that I saw 
ever. I have one lens, which is before I knew this about him, and it's so hard to take that away because now I have a totally different lens that I see him with and that I'm viewing him from now, which sucks because I don't know what the truth is. Probably somewhere in the middle. But I thought he was super quiet. I mean, he just seemed so shy. There was nothing glaring that she could recall, but there was this one thing, we're going to call it, it was pretty odd. Remember in the beginning of the episode when Dee Dee was describing her mission trip? Well, they had two separate vans that they would travel in, and Dee Dee made some observations about Tom as they were traveling through the Scottish countryside together. We had two big vans that we had to rent. They would mix us up in the different vans, but he would never engage in, you know, looking out the windows and saying, oh my gosh, look at this waterfall that was literally just falling out of the middle of, you know, this mountain on the side of the road, and we were all just ooing and aahing, and he never had any reactions to anything. That was what sticks out to me more than anything, and always has. But I just thought, that was just Tom. But that's not all. Looking at my pictures that I have of him, there's this one picture where his eyes, I mean, it's just the way the picture was taken, I think, but his eyes are just bulging, and there's just no smile, and you you look at it, and I'm like, oh my God, I don't even ever want to look at this picture again. It sounds like when it came to the church group, Bruce displayed a veneer, because the Tom Bruce Dee Dee once knew was seemingly unrecognizable almost a week after the murder of Jamie Schmidt and the rapes of the two other women. Tom Bruce was charged with first-degree murder, along with multiple counts of sodomy, armed criminal action, kidnapping, burglary, and tampering with evidence. A week later, police upgraded his charges to 17 felony counts, including first-degree murder and additional accounts of sodomy. Tom Bruce entered a plea of not guilty of the charges that he was facing, and it's no surprise that Dee Dee grappled to comprehend the reality of this man that she thought that she knew. Tom's decision to plead not guilty added insult to injury from Dee Dee's perspective. Why is he pleading not guilty? That upsets me. That upsets me a lot. This is a Christian man. Was that all a facade this whole time? I don't know. I don't know. There's, I don't think there's any way to answer that. But if somebody is feeling convicted or that they know that they did something wrong, you would plead guilty and spare these families a trial. But he's not. This entire story, every aspect of it, seems to be tied up in religion to some degree. At least, that's how it appears from where I'm sitting. Tom went from city to city using mission trips as the reason for moving so much. And according to Dee Dee, who is basically the quiet type, until he was preaching his quote-unquote faith to people, that's when he came alive. He was able to sell religion like it was his job, but otherwise he was basically silent. We also can't forget that Tom's alleged heinous crimes even took place at a Catholic supply store, a place that literally sells religious items and relics, and he knows religious people are going to be shopping. And I do think it's really interesting that he's not the only alleged criminal that has ties to religion. Like, I believe Dennis Rader of BTK, notoriety, uh, infamy, Mm -hmm. rather, didn't he send... Didn't he type up one of his letters on a church computer and it's then sent it on a disc and that's how they were at, they tracked him back to his church. Yep. I just feel that a lot of people who are evil they 
are dumb because they just go with the obvious counter to evil, which is, you know, righteousness in religion. It's sort of like a, it's sort of a cliche in a, in a deranged way. Yeah. And it is, you know, it's like hiding in plain sight for definitely for both of them where as long as he kind of is seen as this religious man, it's he can kind of do the things that he's going to do, but nobody would ever think it would be him. Like no, that he's the last person that anybody would think could commit a crime like that. And you also see a lot of people that are that are that use religion as an excuse. Uh, particularly, you see um, some individuals that say uh, that they're trying to cleanse the world by uh, killing sex workers or. Uh, you know, certainly the, um, the Atlanta Olympic bomber, he was a religious guy. Uh, and he was also a guy that was bombing, you know, abortion clinics and things like that. So oftentimes it's going to go hand in hand. So someone we haven't discussed in terms of Tom Bruce's arrest is his wife, Diane, and how shell-shocked she must have been. Didi was actually still friends with Diane on Facebook when all of this went down. And I feel so bad for Diane. I, I've tried since to get a hold of her. So imagine if these questions were asked of her. I mean, she was married to this man for, I don't even know, more than 30 years. I can't even imagine, you know. I mean, she's got to have no answers. It's no doubt that Dee Dee's reaction and confusion about Tom Bruce's connection to these crimes is warranted. Those are literally the thoughts that have been keeping me up for a month. I want to cut him out of every Scotland picture I have. I want to pretend Scotland didn't happen. But I can't. It's made me kind of who I am today. Tom, Bruce, freaking reconcile this, has pushed me into the Christian, into the woman I am today. I can't even... What? The types of people capable of vicious rape and murder are people you expect to be identifiable. Certainly not the quiet guy who planned a church mission trip and inspired Dee Dee to double down on her faith and overcome her fear of public speaking, and truly the person who made Dee Dee the Christian she is today. And here's the other thing. Dee Dee had barely come to terms with Tom's crimes at the Catholic supply store when Thomas Bruce's name hit the news once more. But this time, Tom was being connected to other very ominous violent incidents. It turns out, that the months leading up to the Catholic supply store crimes were starting to paint a picture of a man unhinged and presented a very terrifying question. Could Thomas Bruce be a serial killer? Next week, we'll detail the additional alleged crimes connected to Tom Bruce, and our first-degree Dee Dee will still be with us along for the ride. And a huge thanks to her today. So if you are listening out there and you have a story you would like to tell us, you can email us, hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at thefirstdegree, at Billy Jensen, at Alexis Linkletter, at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group. We are talking true crime all the time. And check back tomorrow for a brand new episode of Killing Time on our feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close. But not, but not that close. Happy Mean Donald Duck Day. Happy Rhubarb no Pie Day. No, thank you. Hot fruit. Hot fruit. Hot fruit for everyone. Bye, everyone. 
Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring and creating original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, producing an additional writing by Taylor Rogers, and producing by Alan Santiago for Podcast One. Sources for this episode are St. Louis Post-Dispatch, KSDK, Fox 2, The Missouri Times, The Tennessean, The Missouri Patch, Court Documents, The Innocence Project, and as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source.